Good evening, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight to our Bible study here um, at Risen Church, May 20, 2020. Uh, I know the weather is crummy and, and nasty outside. Uh, we, we can't meet um, in our parking lot or in our lawn, but we look forward to doing that Sunday morning. Just want to get an uh, announcement out front here. Um, we're going to be doing our worship service at 10 a.m. this Sunday, um, just to get ahead of the heat. Uh, make sure that it's the most comfortable um, as possible for our outdoor service. Uh, so we're going to move our service up from 11 to 10 a.m. this Sunday morning. Um, our plans currently are to go through the end of the month, um, meeting outdoors. Uh, and then uh, we are behind the scenes, we are meeting, uh, the leaders and I are meeting and planning for um, a return indoors for the month of June. Uh, we'll still continue to have um, some, some uh, social distancing and some precautions that we'll take when we come indoors, um, but we'll have some announcements about that later. But until then, we're gonna be meeting outdoors. So Sunday morning at 10 a.m., uh, we are planning for our worship service. So there'll be some more posts going up tomorrow uh, to make everybody aware of the time change. Um, but we think that'll make everybody, give everybody the best and the most comfort um, in our outdoor um, worship time. Um, also, I just wanna say I'm praying for one of you, um, to our Risen family and to those that are just visiting and those that are guests with us online tonight. Thank you so much for being a part of this um, community. Um, and I hope and pray that this is a blessing to you. And before I get into Bible study tonight, I've got a special treat that we're going to splice in um, at the video um, through uh, just the wonders of technology. Um, we don't uh, have our worship team here with us tonight, um, but Lindsay has recorded a very special um, treat for you all. Um, and I'm going to let her uh, sing that for you, play that for you at this time.
promises um, that really um, speak um, even louder as we study God's Word tonight. Um, and if you got a Bible, we're in Romans 7. Uh, again, thank you so much, Lindsay. Uh, she's so talented and uh, does such a great job at playing for the Lord, singing for the Lord, and we're blessed. I'm blessed, um, obviously, uh, in so many ways um, with uh, Lindsay, my wife. So thank you to her for singing and playing for us, and thank you for being here. And if you have a Bible, I would love for you to, to turn to Romans 7 tonight. Uh, Romans 7, we're going to jump in at verse number 4 in just a few minutes. Um, but we've been studying through Romans uh, during this time of um, uh, lockdown, quarantine, whatever you want to call it. Um, we've been kind of doing a, uh, not, not, a, not a verse by verse, chapter by chapter study of Romans. Uh, but we've kind of hit the high spots and had a good time um, studying um, so far. And tonight we're going to look into Romans 7 and really dig into something that I think through a conversation that we've kind of been building up to. Um, especially with the last couple uh, studies in Romans, um, if you've been watching some of our videos, I think this really just is a natural step that we're going to take tonight. I think it's an important conversation for us to have um, in this season uh, with all the things that have been going on. I think this subject could not be any more um, aptly timed. And uh, of course, God's Word is always good and always inspiring. So we're going to jump into a text where Paul continues to talk about our dependency our dependency on Jesus, our dependency on Christ. Now, in this text, he's going to contrast our former bondage under the law and under sin. And we'll talk about what those things mean and, and why we use the phrase under law and under sin together. But he contrasts our former bondage um, under sin, under the law, to our newfound liberty under Christ. Now, those are two words that don't normally go together. Liberty and under freedom and under we think about liberty we think about freedom as giving us something giving us power over or giving us you know uh, the ability to not have anything over us right we think about liberty and freedom and we don't associate those ideas and those words with being under or being controlled by or influenced by or at the mercy of anybody but as we've discussed we are free from sin when we become Christians, we are freed from sin so that we might come under Christ. We are free, but we are not autonomous. Or to, to translate, we are not our own God, our own ruler. We were created, and we need our creator to lead us and guide us. We are free, but we are not and never will be autonomous. Now, autonomy is the great lie of our generation, I truly believe. Over the last 50 years, autonomy has been the dream. Um, not just in our country, but we are Americans, so I think this is especially pertinent to uh, for us to have this conversation tonight. Um, it, it, it's especially present in this country because of our mantra of freedom, of course, right? Uh, but it, it's really timely, I think, for us to talk about this with such a patriotic holiday, really the patriotic season, um, and, and really kind of the, 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 the conversation around freedom that has come up in this time of, you know, government borders and, and, and government, um, you know, control, if you will. Uh, by all means, we should, and we are, grateful for those who've defended and fought for this country, those who died um, serving our country, those who fought for us to be free, for us to be liberated, for us to be Americans. We are very grateful. But I want us to know this, and we need to talk about this.
fathers. The concept of freedom, the concept of independence was never meant or intended to lead us away from a dependency on God and by all means away from an allegiance to one another. Their intention was freedom, but never independence as we often understand it in a defiant, in a detached sort of way. And those of the 1776 generation fought and died because they believed in American freedom and they believed that that freedom was a pathway to genuine submission, cooperation, and reliance on one another. Now, written in the Declaration of Independence is this often woefully overlooked statement. And for the support of this declaration, with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence, which is just a fancy way of saying God. You hear that? In the Declaration of Independence as a Nation is a declaration of dependence on God. In this Declaration of Freedom as a Nation from Foreign Affairs is a declaration of dependence on heaven and in God's providence. But it's more than that. We mutually pledge to each other, one another, because you cannot have a love for God without a love for one another. That was so true when they wrote this document because it's all over the scriptures. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. Even those that wrote that ancient document, inspired by what we continue to hold up as our scriptures, they believed that it was not separate from freedom, was not separate from a dependence on God and a cooperation with one another. Over the past 50 years, both liberals and conservatives have walked away from this true intention and this true spirit of America, of a nation under God. Listen, I'm an equal opportunity offender, so don't tune out just because I might say something that um, rattles your political affiliation. You'll agree with me when I offend someone else in just a few minutes after, I'm sure. Both the left and the right have mutated the intent of American patriotism. American patriotism in the earliest days was always a means to heavenly patriotism, a means of understanding, hey, we are under God, and we are, of course, proud of our country and, 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 and bold as Americans, and we are free as a people, but we are not free from God's rule, and we are dependent on God's rule, and we understand what that means in regards to our relationship with one another. Both have conflated, both the left and the right have conflated freedom with autonomy, conflated freedom with independence, and both have damaged the concept of freedom in the process. Listen, liberty doesn't mean and never will mean and doesn't equal unaccountability. See, we think about freedom as in I can do what I want to and you can't judge me or you can't tell me I'm doing something wrong. No, no, no. Liberty has never meant unaccountability. The American idea was built on accountability to God and accountability to one another. But both sides of the fence have taken liberty and made it an idea of autonomy and made it the idea of unaccountability. You know, the left, the left rejects um, you know, absolute moral truth. The left has, has accepted this idea of moral relativism. Um, the left you know, champions this idea that you know, everything is based on how you feel and how you want it to be until it's convenient 
to use it as a weapon or to use moral absolutes as a weapon to silence and cancel those they disagree with. The left leads with an attitude and an arrogance that they have ascended to a worldview that the peasants and the simpletons below will never, and, and without their help, can never reach. They belittle and act as if those who have, in, have an intention and intellectually caught up with them need to be saved from themselves, need to lose their voice and be spoken for. But the right... The right gets defensive towards this behavior, understandably, but the right, in doing so, feels the need to combat the left with weapons of this world as well. And the right gets its hands dirty, appealing to their equally sinful nature, of course. The right often feels the need to project, project this image of rugged individuality. Here's what happens when we get super in tune with our rugged individuality. We get super in tune with our insecurities and our fears. Because at the core of our individuality is a fear and an insecurity because our individuality is well aware of what sin has deceived us. It's wrong and it's going on. Our individuality knows how fragile and how broken we are. See, often on the right, people claim that, you know, liberty and freedom is, you know, we want to push anybody else away. But in doing so, we reveal our own paranoia. We reveal our fear. In the guise of guarding ourselves, we let our guards down and become very concerned that someone's trying to take our freedom away. And maybe that's the intent. But there's a solution for this. See, if you're on the left or you're on the right and you feel like the country or the world as, as a whole is represented by people who don't speak like you or don't speak for you, if you don't feel represented because you are on the left and the right speaks a language that you don't agree with and you feel like they just are taking the world in a direction that you can't go with and you feel disenchanted with, if you're on the right and you feel like the left is leading the country in a direction that doesn't speak for you or represent you, if you feel like someone's trying to force their idea or image on you and you're paranoid that they're going to, and if somebody doesn't, if we don't, if you don't do something, they're going to take this country or this world in a direction that isn't good. The solution is realizing that left or right winning doesn't make us free and will never make us free. In fact, nothing can make us free because we aren't free. That fear inside all of us that says somebody might take my freedom away, that's a real fear. But know this, we aren't free. We never will be free. And that, may be bad, that may be bad news, but it can also be good news. Good news for Christians because we talked about this last week. We don't want to be free. We don't want to be liberated from control. We want to be saved and brought under somebody else's control. See, Christians aren't advocating for a message or a gospel that says, free me unto myself. Free me unto myself that I might do what I want to do. Christianity, the gospel says, free me from myself, free me from sin, and place me under God because only God has salvation for me. Christianity says we don't want to be free. We want to be saved. We want to be under God. Yes, we're freed from sin. 
are freed from sin so that we can tra be transferred from dark to light, from slaves of sin and fear to servants and followers of Jesus. So we have something better than autonomy and freedom. Christianity and salvation is better than autonomy and freedom. Christianity is belonging to God. Belonging to God. And I remind you of this because we don't need to lean left or right. We need to lean into God and look up to heaven. The labels of this world are restrictions, but our label from heaven is liberating. Philippians 3.20 says that our citizenship is in and of heaven. We will have no recollection of our allegiances to man when we get there. We will only know of our faithfulness. To God. Now listen, at a time when we are sensitive to this subject and notion of freedom and rights and liberty, we need to understand our salvation now more than ever. And it's spelled out for us in Romans 7, verse number 4. Therefore, my brethren, brothers and sisters, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, dead to sin through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another. Literally, that you may belong to another. Not be free to yourself. Free to autonomy, but married to, belong to another. We are saved from sin so that we may belong to God, Him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God because we don't want to be free. We want to belong to God and bear fruit for God because salvation and security is not in of ourselves. It is of God. We belong to Jesus. We are liberated because we are under, because we belong to God. We are freed unto peace and joy and fulfillment that is impossible to find apart from total dependence and surrender to God. Maximum freedom. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority, not within our own autonomy. Maximum freedom is found under God in his authority, not within our own autonomy. That's what Paul is getting at in Romans 7. He built up to it in Romans 6. He says in Romans 7 verse 5, For when we are in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death, to lead us to death, to bring us under bondage. But now we have been delivered, saved from that law, having died what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. So we aren't in bondage to the old religious system. We aren't in bondage to any system. We are in service to, we are under the salvation and the help of God. That's what Paul is telling us. Now, when Paul talks about the law, he's referring to the Jewish law. The Jewish law, thou shalt and thou shalt not. But also he's speaking relatively of any and all systems of mankind that we are under um, out of nature or that we place ourselves under in this world. Now, Paul is telling us, referring to the Jewish law, but I think we can understand this in regards to any law, any system of man, that these legal systems of man, by nature, only rouse us to disobedience or rebellion. We disappoint ourselves, each other, and we disappoint in short, when, we, when someone tells us something that doesn't feel natural to us, we reject, we rebel. Because apart from God, apart from God, we are slaves to sin. And sin is always going to produce death. Now, our modern 
free world has worked to subvert and distract us from our sinful nature. But we're plugged into so many outlets and so many sources of this world that influence us. And we think we're liberating our mind and we're you know, getting uh, our own perspective on things by getting information, but we're not. You know, Jesus said the only thing that can set us free is truth. And that God's word is truth. But we're plugged into so many outlets, aren't we? So many outlets that clearly are not based on God's word. Clearly they are not reading from God's word or speaking from God's word. We are plugged into so many people's thoughts. And that's the problem. We can't even get the news without it being filtered through someone's thoughts. Right wing or left wing. It's not truth. It's thoughts. It may be peppered with truth. But it's thoughts. And we don't need thoughts. We need truth. God's word is the only source of truth. And even, even sadly, most churches don't present truth anymore. They present thoughts based on truth, inspired by truth, but they're not truth. They're thoughts. We here at Risen, we only deal and preach and proclaim truth. The truth is that we are sinners and slaves to sin. And we don't need more ideologies of man. We don't need left. We don't need right. We need God's word and we need God's truth. We are sinners and slaves to sin. Apart from God setting us free and apart from us following him and serving him, placing ourselves under him, there is no life is no joy and there is no fulfillment for anybody what paul is doing in romans 7 demonstrates to us just how much we need to follow jesus and how only by following him will we find eternal life a life free from regret free from guilt free from judgment he breaks down the connection between god's revelation of law and god's revelation of sin to us how god actually meant his law to expose sin to ultimately shine a light towards our salvation. Listen to how Paul rationalizes this in verses 7 through 13. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetous unless the law had said, You shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity by commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire, for apart from the law, sin was dead. I was alive once without the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived, and I died. And the commandment, which was to bring life, I found brought death. That was the point. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and it killed me, or it brought about that guilt and that, 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 that you know, regret. Therefore, the law is holy, the commandment is holy, and just is good. Paul is saying there's a standard that I can't meet and I can't measure up to. That my sin prevents me, it causes me to fall short of God's glory. Has then what is good become death to me? Certainly not. But sin that it might appear as sin was producing death in me through what is good. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. God gave the law to reveal our sin to us. The standard shined a light on our inability to measure up. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, Paul says, sold under sin. Now let me unpack this some more and make this even more general. If our nature rejects and rebels against God's perfect law, God's written out standard, then how can we ever imagine, I want to bring this back to our modern world with our modern you know, 
institutions and how we see the world and how we put ourselves under this and that. If our nature rejects and rebels and falls short of God's perfect standards, God's perfect law, how can we ever imagine that any man-made standard or man-made ideology could ever be perfect, much less realized? How could we ever imagine that any system of man could ever be perfect, much less realized, much less lived out? How could we even live up to our own standards, measure up to our own ideas, when we can't even measure up to God's? It's impossible. It's a fool's error to try. So we should resist that. You see, the ancient world had religion to keep people in bondage. All these religions were meant to keep people enslaved to their sin, to give them false hopes of, of finding remedy, but they never would find it. But today's world, we bypass religion. We've placed our faith in institutions, in intellect, or even our own intuition. We've removed the concept of flaws needing to be atoned for. We've asserted that we are flawless or that our flaws are not egregious and don't really need a remedy. But if we're being honest, we know that we fall short. Our own goals, of others' goals, and if we're being honest, of God's standards. Because there is within us a nature that plagues everyone and for which there is only one cure. And in God's sovereignty, he makes clear to us through our failures, the failures and shortcomings of all religions, institutions, our intellect as individuals. He underscores the shortcomings to emphasize our weaknesses and see, isn't it true? Isn't it true that this world and every institution of this world is constantly exploiting our weaknesses? Isn't it true that everything in this world is trying to convince us that we are weak and we need them to make us strong? That we need to be, that our lives can be made better with the thing the world is selling to us. That's the message of every brand, every company, every politician, every movement. We have something you need that in and of yourselves you can't obtain, right? You see, my weakness is that I need pizza. Yeah, I went there. I need pizza. And I can walk down an entire hallowed aisle at Walmart and I can see any and every kind of pizza that can atone my need for it. I can drive down Main Street of any given town and see bright lights that shine and tell me this is where you can have your weakness made strong. Every brand is trying to get me to choose them. I get sales papers, I see ads that say choose me. Come on, I jest, but we are always being marketed to by brands that we consume, by politicians that we should or shouldn't vote for, by things that we invest our lives in. We are being marketed to. We all choose things that we think will fill the voids that we have, the voids physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, all the voids that we have. These things say if you choose us, we will compensate for what you cannot do for yourselves. And listen, the enemy used the trap, uses the trap of religion. He uses many other things today to keep people in their weakness, never finding the solution, the one and only solution. These things pander to us. They take their cues from religion. If you consume everything that they have to offer, they might fill the void that we have. Whether it's entertainment, 
Again, government, anything. They pander to these weaknesses that this might be what you need. But they never actually provide what we really need, do they? But they get us on a hook, don't they? All that didn't fix us the first time, but if you keep coming back, maybe. And over time, we become so passionate about these things because we think there's an answer for us somewhere in this area. And if we just continue to buy in and continue to invest and continue to focus, just like any religion, just like the religions of old, if we keep investing, maybe we'll find the thing that we're looking for. But the thing is, we never do, do we? Whether in religion or politics, things that we find as hobbies, they take, they take, they take, but they never provide what we are looking for at our heart. God's word to us in Romans 7, in every chapter of his word, is that nothing can satisfy the cry of your heart and soul like Jesus can. What Paul has been doing with God's law in Romans 7 is telling us that the desire we have that we try to quench with so many things is ultimately a desire to please God. Again, this goes back to who you belong to. You have a desire to please God because you belong to God. Even as sinners, you are made by God, you are in his image. And you will never be satisfied in any or all of your doings until you come to know your true identity, your true being. Ravi Zacharias, the great Christian apologist of our time, of all time, uh, just went home to be with Jesus this past week. He talked about this so eloquently and so clearly. Pastor Louis Giglio rightfully called him the smartest man alive when he spoke at Passion 2020 just a few months ago. Robbie explained often about how we often define ourselves by what we do or have done or can do, but such is why we always remain empty. Because we are a human being, not a human doing. As in, who we are should always be the basis for what we do in our behavior. What we do should come from an understanding of who we are. And if we understand who we are, we will do what makes us truly happy and what fulfills us. It, it's all about who we are, who we belong to. And when we figure that out, then we will begin to walk in a direction that will bring us happiness and bring us joy and bring us fulfillment. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And who we are will fix what we do. Psalms 8, David asked the question, who is man or what is man? Only Christianity deals with and addresses this cry of logic and truth because in our faith, God became one of us to redeem us and save us, to value us and transform us. And there is an empirical experience for everyone who comes to Christ. Ravi is famous for saying, when I came to religion, I came to a place. But when I came to Jesus, I came to a person. A person who revealed to my heart that I was a sinner in need of a Savior. A person who was that Savior, who redeemed and resurrected my heart for me. So only when we come to God, only when we understand that we are God's, do we come to know and find the ability to do differently. And only God takes care of the weakness that we have. And only God compensates for the weakness that we have. And only God can satisfy our hearts. No 
political affiliation, no field of entertainment, no pleasure of this world, none of those things will ever satisfy or quench our deepest desires, it will ever bring safety and, and satisfaction to our deepest insecurities. None of those things will bring fulfillment to our hearts only knowing who we are, only knowing whose we are, is going to get us to a place where we do differently, where we do better. In Romans 7.15, Paul articulates and breaks down how dissatisfied or unsatisfied he always was with his own methods and attempts to find peace and happiness. And how Jesus was the logical answer and solution for his plight. Listen to Paul in Romans 7. Verse 15, for what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Paul says in this verse that the things I want to do, I never do. The things that I hate are the things that I always do. I'm not happy with the decisions that I make. I follow after things like a lamb to the slaughter. And even though those things tell me they're going to make me happy, they don't. Even though those things tell me they're going to make me more free, they don't. They make me more of a slave. He says, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. Now, Paul's talking about the law is the standard that makes him feel guilty. That the standard that is over us, whether we've read it or not, the Bible, whether we know it or not, there's a standard that says you're falling short. And there's a temptation in you to double down on the things of this world, to double down and get angry, get aggressive, get you know militant about this or that, to become so dedicated, so passionate, so focused on, so invested in. There's a, there's a temptation to just double down on this world and all the institutions and all the things that we can learn intellectually and all the intu intuitions of our own hearts. There's a temptation to double down on those things. But Paul says, I understand that there is a standard, and the standard that makes me feel guilty, the standard that makes me feel empty, is God, because I belong to God. I don't belong to anybody else in this world. I don't belong to America. I don't belong to a political affiliation. I don't belong to a brand. I don't belong to this or that. I don't belong to a vice. I don't belong to anything else of this world. I belong to God. So the reason why I feel like I'm always falling short is because there's a disconnect between me and my maker, me and my creator. Don't think the void is because there's something wrong with you and something of this world. Those things didn't make you. Those things don't own you. Those things don't care about you. Those things don't love you. But your creator, your savior, your God, he does and he shows you a better way. So Paul says this void is because I've missed the mark. But I understand it is no longer I who do these things, but sin that dwells in me. Paul says, hey, the thing in me that's keeping me from doing what I should do is sin. It's sin. So Paul identifies that there is a God he belongs to, but there's a sin that's inside of him that's disconnecting him from that God he belongs to. So he says, I've got to address the sin. I know it in me that is in my flesh. Nothing good dwells for it to will it to be. For I know that is in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for to do is present with me, but how to perform what is good, I don't know why. Paul says again, there's this sin in me that is preventing me from doing what I know I should be doing. 
And the temptation is to just ignore the reality of God above us and that we belong to God and let sin continue to lead us in the wrong direction. But Paul says, I've isolated the problem, I've magnified the problem, and I'm going to bring a cure to this problem. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that's what I practice. Now, if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul says, I've got to understand that sin is a driving force in my heart, pushing me after this world, pushing me after things that are not for me, pushing me in the wrong direction. And I've got to be aware of that. I find in a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law of my members warring against the law of my mind, bringing in captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. So Paul says there's this awareness of God as my maker, as my savior. But there's also this bondage to sin. And this is where he just cries out from his heart. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Paul says, I can't get out of this on my own. I'm stuck. I'm trapped. Even if I've isolated the problem, I can't erase it. Oh, wretched man who that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who will save me? Paul says the answer is not more freedom. It's not autonomy. The answer is salvation. I thank God through Jesus Christ, my Lord. So then with my mind, I serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. But through Christ, there is no condemnation. There is only salvation. Take this as a universal depiction and description of our feeble efforts to do anything for ourselves, to better ourselves. We, as in people, cannot measure up. But thankfully, we have Jesus. He measured up to God in his life and death for all humans, once and for all. And that pleased God. We couldn't please God, but Jesus pleased God by living a perfect life. And he pleased God by dying a death for all sinners. So we don't have to worry about if we're ever going to please God, but will Jesus please God for us? That standard that we realize that we fall short of, Jesus met that standard for us. Jesus measured out unto us in his death and resurrection for all humans once and for all. He measured out spirit for life and salvation. And that can please us. Jesus pleased God and he can please us. He satisfied the cry of our heart, because we know we fell short, we know where there's a disconnect, but Jesus erases that disconnect, and he also erases that sin. So only when we fall on our knees and acknowledge that God is our creator, that God is our father, only when we acknowledge that we belong to him will that gap be erased. Because God became one of us and became sin for us on the cross, so God erased that gap. So when we acknowledge that God is our creator, that we belong to him, that we need to serve him, that gap's erased. And then that sin in us that keeps us from following God, when we understand that Jesus gives us a spirit of life, Jesus can forgive us of our sin, can wash away our sin, and can replace sin with spirit and give us new life, then that sin is replaced. So the disconnect is erased and the sin is erased. The disconnect is erased and the disease is cured. Only through Jesus. Only through 
confession that God is our creator, God is our father, God is our Lord, and that Jesus is our savior, will we be connected and saved? In this life, we have a lot of invitations to belong or associate with this or that. There is much that allures us and attracts us, acceptance, recognition, popularity, power. Time after time, and we know by now, Nothing ever measures up to even our own experiences, our own expectations. We try to erase that disconnect that we feel in life, but nothing ever does. We try to cure that disease inside of us, but nothing ever does. Our behavior, that which we can control and that which becomes natural, becomes natural, reflects this severed sense of belonging again and again. Maybe this broken record is clear and present a sign from God that only when we understand who's we, who we belong to ever find a pathway and a rescue unto a better life. I'm not asking you to forsake your identity in this life, your affiliations and your associations, your likes or your interests. No, I'm not asking you. But God is inviting you and I am inviting you to find your true identity. If that means forsaking your other identities, then that is the best thing you can do. I'm inviting you, God's inviting you to to embrace your new identity, to find your true self. Jesus once said something that had many walking away. Many walked away thinking, who does this man think he is? He said, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Who do you think you are, Jesus? Worthy of you. I mean, come on. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. If we want to find our true selves, we will know that it's only realize our identity is in God. Jesus didn't think himself to be God's son. He knew he was God's son. He was inviting us to know our true identity as God's child as well. We take up our crosses. We say goodbye to this world because we want and desire a better world. We want what God's got for us. This is not easy. This is not natural. This is not normal. It flies in the face of every institution, intellect, and intuition. It conflicts with every invitation we've ever received and will ever receive. But come on, Jesus is the one who's one and only who's ever offered us a true solution to our greatest need, our greatest weaknesses. And he's asking us this resounding question. What would it profit you if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit? soul. What would you give in exchange for your soul? Jesus knew that if you came to the end of your life with everything in the world, but in exchange for all that, you had to lose your soul. He knew you would give anything and everything to bring fulfillment to the one part of you that you've been chasing after answers for and help for the entire time. He knew that your soul meant everything and means everything and you would do anything to save your soul because your soul is your identity. It weighs heaviest on you because it's the key to knowing who you truly are. You are a child of God. You belong to God. Not anybody else or anything else. And only through Jesus can you come into that role and live up to that joy. So step away from the affiliations of this world. Break ties with the things of this world. Forsake it all if you have to. 
to find your true self as a child of God, saved, belonging to, delivered by Jesus Christ. Erase the disconnect, cure the disease, and become who you were meant to be, a son, a daughter of God. Let me pray for you. Father, we surrender to you. We don't want freedom. We don't want autonomy. We don't want independence. We want you. Lord, we know that our hearts are so insecure. We're so afraid of losing what we've already lost. And only in Jesus do we find our true self. Only in Jesus do we find the cure, the connection to our Creator, to our God, to our Father. Father, I pray that you would help us to say goodbye to anything in this world that owns us or we, we think we find our identity in it. Because our identity is only found in you. Only found by following Jesus, serving Jesus, surrendering to Jesus, being saved by Jesus. Because what would it profit us if we gained everything but lost the one thing that mattered most? Our souls, ourselves. Father, rescue us, free us, save us from this body of death. Lead us into this everlasting way to everlasting life. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for tuning in tonight to this very powerful, awesome passage of Scripture. I hope this message has inspired you. I hope it brings you to a place of greater dependence and greater faith in Jesus Christ because He is your Savior. And you, you are a child of God. And there's no greater role. There's no greater identity than that. God bless you. Hope you have a great night. We'll see you next time.